Let's uh, pray that God would help to open his word for us together. Let's pray this prayer from Psalm 143. Father in heaven, let us hear of your steadfast love in Christ, for in you we trust. Make us to know the way we should go, for to you we lift up our souls. Deliver us from our enemies, O Lord. We have fled to you for refuge. Teach us to do your will, for you are our God. Let your good spirit lead us on level ground. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now you may be seated. And would you please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And then also if you would keep your hymnals open to the Lord's Day that we read, Lord's Day 25, uh, back on page 882 of the hymnal. We'll be using that as our uh, catechism lesson for this evening, as well as looking together at God's Word. So Romans chapter 4, we're going to read the first 12 verses together. First 12 verses of Romans chapter 4. And let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. We want to continue to talk about uh, where we left off in the catechism. The catechism had been sharing some very important articles about justification by faith alone. We talked about how important that is in the life of God's people to understand that we are justified by faith alone, that it's by faith alone that God's gifts are reckoned to us, that we are righteous before God and heirs to eternal life. All the wonderful things that God does for us in our justification come to us by faith. Um, it's important that all of those wonderful things that we talk about in question 60, uh, the, the righteousness, the satisfaction, the holiness of Christ, all of those become ours if only we accept these gifts with a believing heart. Um, and we glory in the fact that we are righteous before God and heirs to eternal life for no other reason that God has showered his grace upon us, caused faith to spring up in our hearts that we might embrace Christ by faith and receive 
all the benefits that are his. It's a marvelous, important understanding to understand that all of these things are ours by faith alone. Um, And so then it's a very important next step to say, now where does that faith come from? Having talked about the fact that faith is so essential for God's people, so essential as that instrument by which we become partakers of Christ and all of his benefits, it makes sense, doesn't it, that the next question will be, now where does that faith come from? How does that faith come to you? How do you come to faith in Christ? How are we to understand that faith? Um, those are all very important questions. It's, a, it's an important question to be answered for yourself. Where does true faith come from? Um, does it come from God? Does it come from you? Does it come from both? Right? If God does his part in faith and you do your part in faith, can your part of the faith fail? See how important it is to be able to answer that question for yourself. Where does faith come from? Uh, faith is all, where does that come from? It's also important for us to be able to answer that for other people. Um, As Christians, we should be concerned that other people come to know Christ as we've come to know him. And it's important if we're going to be effective in our evangelism to know where true faith comes from. Uh, Does true faith come from your ability to share a perfect evangelism technique that can cause faith to spring up? Can, Can you produce faith? You see how important these questions are for not just our own lives, but for the life of the church and the world to make sure we're clear that we understand where faith comes from. And so this Lord's Day is really an introduction into the topic of the sacraments, but it importantly reminds us where faith comes from and how faith is strengthened. And so we simply want to think today through this Lord's Day as an introduction to the sacraments to think about the source of faith and the sustenance of faith. Boys and girls, pastors always need the same two letters to start things. So, um, but you can say, how is faith formed and how is faith fed? You could do it with Fs too. Um, but however you want to think of it, just make sure that you understand that that's what we're after in thinking about these things. How does God work faith in our hearts in the first place? Where does faith come from? How is it formed? And then how is it fed? How is it nourished and strengthened? And so we want to think about these uh, questions along those lines. How is faith formed? That's the first question we want to answer. Um, How is faith strengthened or fed? That's the second question we want to answer. And where is faith focused? Even though this Lord's Day is in many ways an introduction to the sacraments, it says some very important things about where our faith needs to be focused in the Christian life. And we don't want to miss that glorious truth. And so that's how we want to think through this together. How is faith formed? How is faith fed? And where is faith focused? And that's how we want to follow through uh, this Lord's Day and the text that's before us. So as I mentioned, question 65 is really an introduction to the sacraments uh, to help us to understand where faith comes from and how faith is fed. And of course, the question where, how is faith formed? The first thing to make sure we understand clearly is that faith is formed in us by the Holy Spirit. That faith is a spirit-wrought work in the life of God's people. Um, Now, maybe a church that's been well catechized and has had the gospel faithfully faithfully preached to it for a long time uh, doesn't need to be told that faith is the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's an important thing that we continue to keep before our eyes. Again, not just for ourselves, uh, but for our evangelistic work. 
if we want to share the gospel with people, if we want to preach the gospel to people, if we want to see people come to faith, where we need to know where does that faith come from. And faith is a gift of God that he gives. That's why some people see and some people don't. The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts. Um, that should be a great cause for humility for all of us who've come to see Christ and understand who he is by faith, that the only reason we, can't, we can see what other people can't see is a gift of God. Um, it's not our doing, right? Paul takes pains to, remember, to remind the Ephesian church of that, doesn't he? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Um, it should be a cause for humility for ourselves to know that God was pleased to give us this rich and precious gift, um, that it's nothing in us that earned it, but all, all of his goodness that he gave it to us. So it should be a source of humility, but it also should be a source of our, our confidence to do the evangelistic work that we do, right? To know that God works, that God's spirit is at work. He's powerful to work, and God is the great and rich giver of heavenly gifts. He's a generous God. He, he loves to pour out his gifts on people. And so that should be a great encouragement to us to take the gospel out because it's a gift that God gives to believe. Um, you know, so, sometimes we get, we get so surprised when evangelism works. Um, when, you, when you share the gospel with someone or sharing with them about Christ and you see it beginning to make an impact, it's landing by the work of the Holy Spirit, you can almost begin to say, I can't believe this is actually happening. Um, well, the Spirit has given to you a gift, the gift of faith. Why wouldn't he give it to someone else? Um, we shouldn't be surprised that God is a rich giver of gifts and that he's pleased to give those gifts. So we need to understand that that's how faith is formed. That's how it was formed in us. That's how it's formed in others. So it should be a great source of humility and encouragement to God's people that faith is a gift, that the Holy Spirit forms it, that the Holy Spirit gives that gift. But we're also taught something very important about what kind of spirit the Spirit of God is. He's a generous spirit. He's a giving spirit. But he's also a spirit who likes to work through means. The spirit is a spirit who works through means. And so we don't embrace any kind of what you'd have to call hyper-Calvinism that says, well, you know, God will save who he saves. So we don't do any evangelism. We just let people walk down the street and wait for the Holy Spirit to, to waylay them, you know, just run into them. Um, no, we don't do that because we know that the Spirit works by means. So he's the one who does the forming of faith. He's the one who does the giving of the gift of faith. But how does he work? Um, what means does he use? Well, question 65 is very helpful in that as well. The Holy Spirit works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel. That's how faith is formed. That's the means the Spirit works. He works through the Word. And that's why we call the preaching of the word the means of grace. Right? We say it's a means of grace when God's word is preached. And maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you don't even know what it means. You've heard it so often that it's hard to define. But we can make it very simple. It's just the means by which God works his grace. It's the means by which he forms the faith that he forms by the speaking of the word and by empowering it by, its, by his spirit to make a real and radical change in the person to whom it comes. Um, that's why Abraham is such a wonderful example of faith. 
That's why he's held out to us as the father of faith, because God's word came to him and it spoke to him and it made an impact. It changed everything about him. It changed where he lived. It changed how he thought of himself. Right? He, he used to be Abram of the Ur of the Chaldees. He used to have a home in this world. And he became Abraham, who was a sojourner, because he was looking for another city, a heavenly one, a homeland that he didn't have anywhere in this world. And when the Lord came and said to him, you're not going to see it in your lifetime or your children's lifetime or their children's lifetime, but there's going to be a whole world given to you. And even though you don't have children or children's children, I'm going to raise up for you descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make your name great in the world and all the people of the earth will be blessed by you. And Abraham looked around and saw nothing of that. Right? He, he even said, you know, the, the, Paul puts it in Romans in a way we probably wouldn't want to put it. Right? He was old and his wife was as good as dead. Not a very nice way to put things, right? Um, unless, but it's spirit-inspired, so we, we know that's true. And that's maybe how they both felt. So to, to tell them in their 90s, you're going to be parents, and you're going to have offspring as numerous as the seashore, sands on the seashore. And all this land that you're looking at, as far as your eye can see, that's going to be there someday. He had nothing of it in his hand. He only had it in his ear. And when he heard that, he believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed above all that one day there, there would be a descendant from Abraham through whom all the earth would be blessed. Even the Lord Jesus Christ. He saw his day, right? Jesus wonderfully says, he saw my day and he rejoiced. He saw none of it, but he heard it and he believed it. The Spirit formed that in his mind, not just as a conception, but as a belief that God would do as he promised. And that's why Abraham is held out to us as an example. That's what the people of God do. We're told things that we can't really believe. Right? We're told that God loves you and he's always loved you from before the foundation of the world. That he made a plan to save you before he made any of this. That it was his desire that you be with him where he is, to see his glory. That he loved you so much he sent his son to die for you, to live for you. He reigns at the right hand of the Father. That this whole world that he's made is a theater for his glory, that he might make his name known to you and move everything in this world to the end of promoting your good and the saving of his people. Right? That's too much for our minds to really wrap themselves around, too much to believe. Right? Because we look at ourselves and we say, but I know me. I know there's nothing in me that the sovereign God would love. That word has to be spoken to us, and what the, word, what the Spirit does is he takes that word and he powerfully applies it to our hearts so we find that we not only believe in that truth, but we trust in that truth in life and in death. That's the work that only the Spirit can do. And He does it through the means of what we hear. It's by the Word of God preached to us that the Spirit is pleased to work. And why? 
Because it's weak. What I do is a weak thing. Um, If I were going to design how to save people, I would not put myself in part of this equation. Right? We wouldn't say, this is a good idea. Right? The world tells us people do not have the attention span to listen to you for that long, especially when you go on and on. Um, Especially not on an evening where it's warm and it's struggle enough just to stay awake. Right? What is God doing? He's showing it has to be my work because you can't possibly explain it by your work. It's a powerful working of the Spirit of God that through the foolishness of the word preached, he saves. He works his grace in the hearts of his people so that they believe they become united to Christ by his Spirit through faith. And they live. That, that miracle that only God could accomplish, that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how faith is formed, by the preaching of the Holy Gospel. And we know that the faith not only needs to be formed in the life of God's people, it also needs to be fed. It also needs to be strengthened. And so once the word creates faith, it certainly does that strengthening work as well. Our faith is fed and nourished by the word preached. But as we turn our attention to the sacraments, we're reminded in a particular way that God has established sacraments to help feed our faith. So how is faith formed? It's formed by the preaching of the word, by the spirit, through the preaching of the word. That's the means of grace God uses to create faith. He also sustains faith by the preaching of the word, but in a particular way, he feeds faith also by his sacraments, uh, by the use of the sacraments. That's what question 65 finishes by saying, confirms it by the use of the holy sacraments. That's how we're to see the sacraments functioning in the lives of believers. It comes along to affirm, to strengthen, to confirm what the word has already presented to God's people. And so they work in harmony with one another. The word and the sacrament work together. The sacrament is affixed to the word in a certain sense. Uh, listen how Ursinus puts it in terms of defining how, how does the sacrament confirm our faith. He says, whatever the word promises concerning our salvation through Christ, the sacraments as signs and seals annex thereto confirm unto us more and more for the purpose of helping our infirmity. Um, that's so important to think of it that way. Ursinus was one of the principal authors of the catechism. So he's often revealing to us the method behind the madness. Why is this put together the way it's put together? Why does God know that we need sacraments? Well, it's hard for us sometimes to hear things and hold on to them. Have you ever had the experience where somebody explains something to you and you think, okay, I've got it. And then you walk out and then when someone asks you a week later, you can't find the thread anymore. And you're saying to yourself, I thought I had it. Let me go get my notes. Maybe I can kind of put it back together and get my hands around it again. But our our ears work like that. It, It can be hard for us to hold in our minds that conception of just what we hear in our word. And God made us. He knows what we are. He knows that we're dust. And he says, you need help. You not only need the word spoken in your ear, you need something to be put before your other senses. Um, You know, sometimes we even say, right, well, I'm a visual learner. 
I learn better by seeing things. Um, and, and that's what the sacraments help us do. They give us something to see. Um, they give us something that reaches out to our other senses, right? Something that we can touch, that we can taste, that we can see, that we can smell. It reaches out to our other senses to help confirm us in the weakness that we have in just hearing and holding on to it. Um, and God knows our weakness. He knows our affirmity. So he's affixed to his word these visible presentations of the gospel to signify and seal unto us the promise of the gospel. Um, and again, we always use those words signify and seal, but these are not complicated words. What the signs do, they point you to another reality. Right? We have a church sign outside saying there's a church in here. We don't all go gather around the sign. You can, but you'll miss important things. Um, we, we come in, this is the church, that's just the sign of the church, but it points us to a reality. That's what signs do. And that's what the signs of the sacraments do. They point us to invisible realities, spiritual realities. That's how they're signs, and they're also seals. They make these things official. Uh, the way a seal on, an, on a document makes it official, or the, the seal of California on your driver's license makes it official. It just affixes it and shows this is an official document. This is really true what it says. Right? I can print a diploma saying I went to Harvard. If there's not a seal on it, it's not really worth anything. And what the sacraments are doing is saying, this is not just some idle word. This is true what God has promised. It's sealing unto us the reality of what the word has already promised us. That's why the word is necessary for the sacrament to operate. You can't have the sacrament without the word. The sacrament is dependent on the word. It has to come alongside of the word and confirm the word. And that's what the sacraments are. Uh, we're, we're told that in, in question 66. You thought I wasn't moving on from 65, but we are going to move on and move forward. Uh, what are sacraments? Well, they're visible, holy signs and seals. And, and look at the goodness of our God. Why does he give them to us? They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. It's a beautiful way of summarizing what the sacrifice, what the sacraments do for God's people. They help us to more clearly understand what God has promised us by the use of simple things. And we'll get into the individual sacraments as we go on, but it, we take simple things, water, bread, wine. They're simple signs. They're easily understood they point to reality that we might more clearly understand what the gospel is promising to God's people. And then the question goes on really helpfully to say, and this is the gospel promise. Um, if you ever want a good summary of what the gospel is, you have it right here in question 66. The trick is remembering it's here. But it's here. It's a wonderful summary of what the gospel promises it says, and this is God's gospel promise. He grants us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished 
on the cross. It's a wonderful summary of the gospel. How do we receive the promise? By grace. It's all of God. What do we receive? Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And why? Because of Christ's one sacrifice on the cross. Everything is found there. Everything flows from that. That is where our faith needs to be focused in the word. That's what the sacraments come along and do. Clearly picture to us that sacrifice and what it did for God's people. Um, That's where our faith is directed. Um, And so that's how our our faith is strengthened. By pointing us again to that one source of faith so that our faith never gets focused anywhere else. So our faith is formed by the Spirit through the preaching of the Word. It's fed by the Word and the sacrament, confirming to us the gospel promise. And where is our faith always focused? It's always focused on the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Um, Question 67 um, is a good one and a helpful one for kids trying to learn their catechism because the first part of the answer is just yes, indeed. So if you can remember the question, you already know that the answer, you're on the right track for the answer. Um, are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and confirms by the holy sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice on the cross. When Paul wants to summarize his gospel message, right, he says in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Right? Not just Christ, Christ crucified, Paul says, to those which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Where do we see the power of God? Christ crucified. Where do we see the wisdom of God? Christ crucified. Their vile sinners were able to find forgiveness from the justice of God. And his wrath was able to be poured out so that he is just and able to clear sinners. Right? That's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. That's why Paul said, everything I preach is that direction. Christ crucified. That's my message. That's where I want you focused. It's the only ground of your salvation. And where then does baptism point us? Christ crucified. Right? The blood that washes us. The spirit that regenerates us. Where is all of that secured for God's people? It's accomplished on the cross. The word points us to Christ crucified. Baptism points us to Christ crucified. The Lord's Supper points us to Christ crucified. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. This is true food and true drink to life eternal for those who partake by faith. 
You see, God knows our weakness. God knows that we can hear Christ crucified and then let it go and forget where we're supposed to be looking. And so a lot of the gospel ministry, a lot of what we need as Christians is for God continually to be going, hey, hey, stop looking at those other things. Focus on Christ. Lift up your eyes to Christ crucified. That's the only ground of your salvation. And he knows our weakness, so he does it in the Lord's Supper. Hey, Christ crucified, the only ground of your salvation. Baptism, the same thing. That's why Paul in Romans 4 said, what came first? What was more important, that Abraham be circumcised or the faith that he had before he was circumcised? No, it was the faith. That's how righteousness was counted to him. Circumcision was a sign of the faith he already had. The sacraments are signs and seals of the righteousness that we have by faith. And so the word says, believe in Christ crucified. And the supper says, believe in Christ crucified. And baptism says, believe in Christ crucified. That that might form faith in the crucifixion of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross as the only ground of salvation to know that there is everything we need. And isn't it so true that we need to be redirected there over and over again? We, we need the gospel to snap its fingers at us and say, what is the promise? Not your filthy rags will make you clean. Or your life or your holiness. Everything you need to be saved, to be an heir of righteousness, an heir to eternal life, was there at the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ meant it when he said it's finished. He wasn't playing around. It's finished. It's finished on the cross. That's where we have to look. That's where we always have to be looking. And God knows that our infirmity, we need to constantly be redirected there. And it's by faith that we become united to the Christ who was there on the cross. It's not just a bare remembrance that we always try to remind ourselves of, right? The word preached brings Christ to us, right? That that's can be the hard thing to do when you're sitting in church late on a Sunday evening is to believe that God is speaking here. Trust me, it's hard for me to believe it when I'm standing here to think that God is speaking here. God is. He's here. Oh, the Lord who died for us is here. He comes to be with his people. Or better, he sends his spirit to us that we might be lifted up into his presence for a little while. And to hear his word and to fellowship with him and to anticipate that great day when we will be lifted up, not just for a moment, not just for an hour, but for eternity. To be with our God forever. He's really here when he speaks to his people. He's really here when his sacraments are presented, he's with us as he promised that he would be with us to the very end of the age. And so the, the message that he gives to us is, if you want your faith strengthened, it's strengthened when I speak to you. And when I once again remind you that I died on the cross for you. And when he says to us, and there I did everything you need to be saved. And so when you want to put your faith 
and trust in something, you have to put it in the Christ who died on the cross. There is no other name given among men by which you must be saved. And so what God does is gives us means of grace that constantly redirect our hearts and minds. Right? Not to the wisdom and the folly of this world, but to the radical truth of Christ crucified for sinners that makes sinful people whole. That's where our faith is focused. And our God says, besides the word preach, you only need two visible signs and seals. You only need two. And you need to use the two that he instituted. Right? Um, How many sacraments did Christ institute? Two. Holy baptism and the Lord's Supper. He says to us, we need visible signs and seals for our weakness, but I'm going to be the one that gives you visible signs and seals because when you try to do visible, you come up with a golden calf. So he says to his people, I'm going to give you the visible and I'm going to give you the only visible that you need. But again, the Lord knows us. He knows our weakness. He knows what we need to be strengthened in our weakness. And he says, my word and my sacraments are sufficient for you. And why are they sufficient, as seemingly weak as they are? Because he's in them. Because he speaks through the visible word of the sacraments and through the heard word of the gospel. And through that, faith is formed, faith is fed, and God testifies to us, everything you need to be saved has been provided to you in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes when we feel, and I'll end with this, but sometimes when we feel our faith flagging, um, when we feel lost, when we feel like we're, the world is coming crashing down around us, we need to be refocused. Um, and, you know, sometimes when we face the difficulties of this life, our intention is to just go be on our own, to go away from the church. And it's actually, that's the moment precisely that we need to be gathered back and to have God say to us, you're looking at the wrong thing. Lift up your eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the one who began and will end your faith as the author and perfecter of your faith. And who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised its shame. Who saved you there and saved you to the uttermost. So it's important for us to know, where does your faith come from? How is your faith formed by the Spirit through the Word? How is it fed by the Word and the sacrament? And where is it focusing us always on Christ and Him crucified? To Him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for these wonderful signs and seals that you give to us to clearly help us understand the gospel. We thank you for the word preached that's created faith in our hearts. It's helped us to look to Christ. Lord, when we tend to get distracted by other things in this world that would steal our focus from him, would you refocus us once again by the beauty of the word preached and the simplicity of the sacraments to know that the whole of our salvation is in the cross of Christ. How thankful we are for his faithfulness, for his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection that means forgiveness of sins for us and eternal life as our sure blessing. Thank you for these gifts, Lord. Continue to focus us 
always and only on Christ crucified. And hear our prayers, we pray in his name. Amen.